Scott. Um, <clears throat> as most of you know, we do a pet podcast, and um, uh, the girls, uh, Summer and Lacey, do such a good job of getting that out. Sometimes we connect it to the um, prescription for comfort texts that go out uh, five days a week. And um, I don't pay attention to how much the podcast gets listened to. Um, but I know some people do, and I don't just don't pay attention to it, just kind of go along, and, and sometimes I'll hear comments and, uh, about it. And um, I, wanted, I, I told Kim that I wanted to do this. Um, her mother, named Dolores McVeigh, um, she, she listens to these religiously. And I just wanted to uh, speak her name today in, in this, and she'll hear it, but give a blessing to her and, uh, and pray for her. She's uh, getting to where she's not able to do too much at all, but she loves these podcasts, whoever comes on, and that it just blesses me. It's just so neat that she does and that she, she listens to all of them. So... Um, let's just play, pray for her and bless her. We're just going to extend our hands. And Dolores, we just love you and bless you. Father, we ask your blessing on Dolores and give her grace in this season of her life. I thank you for the calling. I thank you for the drawing that you have done in her life to make her your own, to draw her into yourself. Truly, Lord Jesus, your countenance is upon her. And she is experiencing your presence. And we just, the best gift I can give her is to acknowledge that the Lord is on her and in her. And I just thank you for the work you've done in her life. In Jesus' name, amen. She's just real precious. Most of you have not gotten to see her, know her, but um, uh, quite a story. She had to walk out some things that were tough in her life towards the end. And by doing that, she found the Lord. Um, it was a hard thing. And many of you have had to go through hard things to come into truly walking in the Spirit and, and walk out of things. It's never pretty. It's often not pretty. But it, it ends up being your story. And at the end of that, if you found the Lord and you came out of darkness and you're not left in bitterness and, and you're junk, you know, because you can't. You can die in that. We see people all the time. It's nasty. There's bitter. Um, how do you how do you fix that? You know, it's it's very it's very hard. And so when you see sovereignly the grace come on someone, bring them through something, and see the result, it's uh, it's such a blessing, such a blessing. I have been. Uh, I found myself landing uh, several times in my prayer times, meditation, whatever, in, um, in Matthew. And uh, I'll do, I'll put in my journal, I'm doing a read-through, you know, of something. Sometimes I'm studying something and just looking at, meditating on it. Other times I do a read-through. I'll kind of select a couple chapters and just sit, just sit and read them, you know, and just let it kind of wash over me. But I, I, I've come back to this a, a several times, this passage, this portion, it begins at the end of chapter 4, goes on to 5, 6, 7. Uh, it's kind of all hooked up like Jesus is on, uh, on the mount giving this. And it's like anything else in life. If you don't have the question or the context, 
The answer just doesn't mean as much, does it? Like if I would give you an answer 35, but you didn't know the question, you'd be like, okay, is that your, you know, is that your address? Is that, you know, we had a dairy farm. They were all numbered, you know, because you're not going to name 70 cows. Well, we didn't anyways, but they all had a number. We started calling them by their number. That's 44 and that's 45. And I I mean, I can remember those cows from those silly names because you saw them twice a day, you know? And um, so... Everything needs context and a question, first of all. And so I'm looking at the Sermon on the Mount. I really see some things that it's like, wow, I haven't seen this before. How many of us have read and studied the Beatitudes? I mean, I preached on it several times, but I just tapped into something. I mean, man, I hit oil. (laughs) You know, it was, it's cool. I'm going to share this with you. And, and as I was, this was laying this out, I, I went back. And you see this beginning, the outset, the context, the story, how it lined up in Matthew, how Jesus came into his ministry. We know his mother pulled that trick on him at the wedding, you know, you know, hey, make, they're out of wine. No, leave me alone, woman. Don't do that, you know. And he just turns away. She turns away from him and says, do whatever he says. He's like, how do you say no to your mother, you know? She's pulling on your stuff. Preceding this, you see in, um, I'm going to go back to chapter 4, verse 12. And I just, I thank all of you for being so gracious. Uh, I've had no complaints from the church about my fascination with a passion translation. Some people do. And I say this, and I I don't argue with people. I don't want to argue. If it doesn't bless them, then don't read it. Like, it's real easy. Just dial out, you know, check out. Read read whatever version blesses you and you feel comfortable with. Um, But when I read Brian Simmons' notes, when I see a verse, it's like, oh, that's not how I remember it. My King James Version, New King James, you know, how I remember it. I look back and I see where he, he, he'll often explain, here's why. And he refers a lot to the Aramaic and, and that Jesus spoke this. I'm like, I grew up most of my Christian life not realizing that was in the picture at all. I don't know if it had to do with, remember the Crusades, the Crusaders and the, the war that was between Christianity and Islam? And it's nasty. I mean, that spirit is alive today. It's a nasty spirit. They don't just want to be different than you. They want to kill you. And, and today it's Israel. Tomorrow it's America, all Americans. Like they have that same thing. If they're radicalized, they don't want to live with you. They want to eliminate you from the, from the planet. And that is their core belief. And they swear allegiance to that. It's It's scary. And they, if I understand right, if they quote the Quran, they, they are not even allowed to quote it in any other language other than Aramaic, if I understood this right. Now, I don't know if that's still, but that's what I read and understood. It's like they had to use that language. That could have put a bad taste in the westernization of Christianity because we were definitely, you know, Christianity was definitely westernized, wasn't it? We're still kind of fighting off some of the effects of Constantine and some things that took place and 
when we celebrate Christmas and all that stuff. It's all always affected. They're not the real times or dates or seasons. Like It's fascinating to learn when it is because it coincides with the Feast of the Lord. And a lot of things fall together when you get back to the, what's the truth about this? And you, How did we get so far off track? Well, people. We do silly things, huh? Get off on our own, explain things, go, oh, I, I'm going to make this fit me. So I can see how maybe there was a bad taste in the church's mouth for Aramic. I don't know, Arabic. But it was a very valid thing, and it's fascinating, and I don't know if I'm off or not. Maybe Jesus, when he did the Sermon on the Mount, was speaking in Arabic. I'm not sure, because it, the, we know our New Testament was supposedly written in, in uh, Greek, the Koinonia, the Virgin. You know. And um, so that's all. Every Bible we have is a translation, Unless you've got a Hebrew Bible with you, you're reading a translation. Do you understand that? I want to I go with the Bible that Paul had, you know, the King James Version. I mean, people really made that silly statement. It's like, no. The translation wasn't around at the time. Paul didn't speak this language. So all of that falls into place. And I just have to, my story, my testimony Things have come alive for me since I transitioned into the new passion, the passion translation. And I read other; they're good, they're fine. I, I, I'm not a uh, absolutist about it. This just it blesses me. It opens up things, and I, and it it brings the passion to what is supposed to be passionate. And the gospel is passionate by nature. When Jesus comes back, he finds. If you noticed, he was pretty, he was pretty PO'd at the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. He had a real, he was out for them. I mean, he was gentle with everybody else but them normally. I mean, he'd call them down, he called them names. I mean, they were, for us, we're like, oh, what's a whitewashed sepulcher? I mean, oh, terrible name, you know, don't want your kids saying that. But, but to them, to be put into that arena, like, whoa. What he called den of vipers? Oh my! It's it's not a it's not a, a surprise that Jesus was eventually killed by them. It was how long it took, because he worked them up pretty quickly after he enters into his ministry, doing nothing but good. But oh, they were infuriated because he he interrupted so much, and just by the way he talked. Just by the way he begins to describe and roll out this kingdom, they would have been so convicted they were ready to gnash their teeth on him, actually, physically. That's how, that's how bad of a reaction they, they really did have that. They just kept it under wraps for, and they started plotting and planning how to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of this guy. And it didn't get better. It got worse for them. And so when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been thrown into prison, this is right after his temptation. Remember Jesus' temptation? He passed with flying colors, of course. He went back into Galilee. Jesus moved from Nazareth. I mean, this has been here all this time, but I finally kind of I went, oh, click. He moved. How many of you have moved recently or sometime in your life? You moved from this house to that house. Yeah, it's a big deal, you know? 
Now your address isn't this, it's that. You moved. You, you set up, this is my house, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm going to set up my business. This is where, and so he moves. Nazareth was like uh, 20 miles straight. Got to get my directions right. His, his, it was 20 miles towards the Mediterranean Sea, which was west, right? Looking at the map, yeah, that was west. And he moved up to the top of the Sea of Galilee. He was kind of in that region. He moves up to the top of the Sea of Galilee. So it was probably 25, 30 miles. I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing the, you know, measuring with my little ruler with the legend there, like what's this distance? Which is by, he moved to Capernaum. Capernaum. I didn't say that right. Which is by the Lake Galilee in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. He did this to make the prophecy of Isaiah come true. Everything about Jesus' life was prophesied. I, I've been digging in. I've been oh, digging is the wrong. I've just been gleaning from Isaiah and all the different, different things that are showing up. It's just really been alive to me. I've always loved to study. I'm not a great researcher, but I always love. And, and this stuff comes out and you see Jesus and it's about him. It's about the king in the first third of the book of um, Isaiah, then it's about the servant. God loves his servant. You see these chapters roll out who the servant was, and then it's the conqueror, the conqueror. In the end, it's the one that comes. And so Isaiah prophesies this, and I'll just read it here out of the New Testament. I have my, um, my book of Isaiah. <laughs> <clears throat> Listen, you who live in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, along the road to the sea and on the other side of the Jordan and Galilee, the land of non-Jewish peoples. Again, I went, oh, I maybe should have known that. But I realized the region that that was. It wasn't exclusively Jewish. There were a lot of people and different, different races of people living in this area. So I just like... Not being that perceptive, I didn't realize that was that whole area up around the Sea of Galilee. This is significant, I think. It's significant for us. He wanted to, it was prophesied that he would be there. He wanted to be there. He moves to be even more in the heart of it in Capernaum. It was the land of non-Jewish people. You who spend your days shrouded in darkness can now say, we have seen a Brilliant light. When does a light show up the best? In the... So he was strategically placed in this place, born in Nazareth, moves up the, more into the darkness, more into this, and not just Jews, everyone and that's where he sets up his ministry. Now, this always blesses me when I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure I'm included as a Gentile. I mean, it's hard enough to get over yourself that you can be born again. And then there's, there, then there's the thing of what you are and what you are not. I wasn't born God's chosen. <laughs> Kobe got to be born that way. I, I, I'm like... And so I often, like, it's just kind of a big deal. It kind of makes it more Jesus purposefully went to a place with all these people. Now, 
Those who live in the dark shadow of, the de- of death can now say, the dawning light arises on us. That was verse 16 and 17. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim his message with these words. Keep turning away from your sins. Come back to God, for heaven's kingdom realm is now accessible. This was a new headline. This was a new message. And then the deeper you get into, the more you just, just read, just open your eyes to it. We have to, we can hardly appreciate how unnormal this, his language was. They were, this is why Jesus was so, so upset about the religious leaders. They made it even more difficult to come in and be, a, be belong than it was in the first place. They added more things. They were oppressing the people. Ezekiel 34, God rants about the shepherds who feed themselves and don't care about their sheep. I mean, it's kind of a nasty chapter. And you don't really want to be a part of those guys. You don't want to be one of those guys, right? There was passion from God about this. Why? You're not taking care of my kids. You're not watching over my people. You don't really love them. You're not blessing them. You're pressing down on them and milking every last thing out of them that you can. That's not my heart. You were left in place to watch over them, to nurture them, to become an amazing nation that would be blessed and prosper and make me famous. That was the plan. When were, I said this last week, looking in, uh, where, was, where did I end up in Exodus 33? Was that the chapter? I forget what. And we want to pray for things. It's fine to pray for things for yourself, but, but get this right, and it'll change the answers. You're asking so that you have a testimony, a story that makes him look good. And that's not wrong on his part. Because the better he looks, the more attractive. He wants people to come to him. He doesn't want to be famous and glorious so that everybody stays out. Where does he plant Jesus and begins his ministry? In the midst of all of these people and all of these tribes and all of these nations from all of these cultures, man, and it got hot fast in a good way. He's springing this kingdom message, and even the Jews have not heard this before. Whoa. It's really radical if you can get out of just your Sunday school mentality and our Western culture and our Americanism and go, this was really different. This was intended and meant to be because we went right into the same thing in the American church, didn't we? We, we made church difficult. We made following Jesus difficult or so easy that it's not even Christianity anymore. What's the great reputation the church has accomplished in this time? Give me your money. More, more. It takes more. Can you, need, can you give 10? Can you give 20? Can you give 25? And it, it's, it's a horrendous insult to who God is. Prosperity a real thing? Oh yeah, God's all about it. He wants you to prosper. What's the point if you're not prospering? But 
it's so far removed, and Jesus comes in to put it back on course. As he was walking by the shore, he picks up his disciples. Again, I'm sitting meditating. Instead of reading fast, I'm reading slow. Do you, how do you recruit people for your new ministry? Okay, you're going to start a new ministry next week, next month. You need some people with you. How are you going to recruit them? Auditions. What are you going to do? Who are you going to look for? That's the good question. Your ministry needs funded, probably needs this, needs that. I mean, you definitely be looking for some people that had money that can, right? How about some people that have qualifications like edumacations and degrees and you're, oh, you're somebody. You, oh, I'm, you're just a mechanic. I have no use for you. Or you're a lineman or you're, you know, you're a farmer. Uh, no, no, no. I, I don't need any of those guys. I need some people that can make stuff happen, right? He goes and finds some fishermen. I mean, first off, the first four guys are fishermen. I mean, these guys don't even dress right half the time. They work with fish and they work in the water. They're kind of stripped down like, you know. And I noticed something. No priests. No rabbis. You ever stop and think about, huh, guess who thought they were qualified for something like this? Guess who didn't get picked? <laughs> I mean, if you stop, you slow down enough to go, oh, it was very unusual. Jesus, you didn't even give them 10 questions about their qualification. I mean, you're just like, hey, come here. I mean, this was supernatural all by itself. They follow him. They drop their nets. Two of the guys leave their father. You know, when you work with your father in a business, it's not a simple thing to walk out, is it? Especially if you're not mad. <laughs> I mean, this is a family business, and you're involved. And you've got wife and kids, and, you know, to just lay down your nets and walk away, this was a big deal. This was unnatural. He starts putting together his disciples, and in verse 23, pick this up again, Jesus ministered from place to place throughout all the province of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues. He preaching the hope of the kingdom realm. This is, his message was hope. That's different. Israel's under government oppression from the Romans. But he doesn't, he doesn't go after that. That's not, what he's, that's not what he's talking about. He might have had more followers if he would. Hey, let's, let's break out of this. This is bad. The only thing that's worse than the Romans was their own leadership. The scribes and the Pharisees. They're really putting it to them. He comes with his kingdom, the kingdom realm, a message about the kingdom, and healing every kind of sickness and disease among the people everyone his fame spread everywhere it would you start healing everyone you're going to you're going to be famous you won't need facebook advertisement nothing you won't even need money 
You'll get famous, known, well-known real quickly. When the spirit falls, the presence falls, when there's bread in the house, the hungry come and find your house. His fame spread everywhere. Many people who were in pain and suffering with every kind of illness were brought to Jesus for their healing. Epileptics, paralytics, and those tormented by demonic powers were all set free. This was a big deal because their religious leaders weren't offering help for any of these things, and that's what they were really suffering from. They were sick. They were diseased. They were lost. They didn't have a shepherd. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and they're like, whoa, this is different. He's delivering, setting everyone free. Everyone who was brought to Jesus was healed. I have a book on healing up on my shelf in my study. He healed them all. That's the title of the book. That's probably the best that's the best title for any book on healing, right? And I've said this before, shame on us as leaders. We're always trying to help people figure out why they're not healed. Let's just like stop doing that. Just stand there, keep your mouth shut. Say, well, let's, let's keep looking at Jesus. Let's keep praying and watching because there's something here. Here's the normal. Here's the, uh, what do you call it when you set the, the, the schematic? Here's, here's what it's supposed to look like. Don't get good at explaining it away. Let's not get good at doing funerals, right? Let's get good at raising the dead. Everyone that was brought to him was healed. This resulted in massive crowds following him, including people from Galilee, Jerusalem, the land of Judah, the region of the ten cities known as the Decapolis, and beyond the Jordan River. So this is a big deal important. I hadn't paid attention to how important that was before. This is happening when there are people from all over the place coming to the, in, subjected to what's going on. So it wasn't just Jews. He was just ministering to everyone. That in itself, no wonder. So in that context, he sits down on the side of a hill with his disciples. Crowd gathers. And he begins to talk and teach like they've never heard before. Every word is so ultra-Jewish culture, so other than anything they've heard before. Chapter 5, one day Jesus saw a vast crowd of people gathering to hear him, so he went up the slope on of a hill, sat down with his followers and disciples, spread out, spread over the hillside. Jesus began to teach them. They're all ears. This is the guy that he just healed me. He healed my uncle. He killed my father. He killed my mother. He healed my child. I mean, you really get intense when your child needs healing, right? And he begins. Again, I've built this up so that you realize how different these words are. He begins to teach them and out of his mouth. Let me, before I start, 
because this is going to be different than what you normally hear if you haven't read this in the Passion Translation. It caught my attention a while ago when I was studying, looking at this. I've been here several times over the last couple of months. I keep getting drawn back to it, and I look, and I, I realize that the word for blessed, you know the Beatitudes, they all start with a blessed, right? Blessed are these, blessed are these, blah, 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 blah. So, the, the Aramaic word for blessed that gets used there, that is there, that gets translated as blessed, which isn't a wrong translation. It's not wrong. It's just there's so much more. That's, that's the problem. Our, our English language is all, often lame. It, it's missing things, when, especially when it comes, from, comes to bringing things from Hebrew and from, from the, this culture that our, our faith is based in. So it does us well to learn these things so we can grasp more deeply. It's the Aramaic word often translated as blessed, but here's all the words that are included in this. Enriched. If something's enriched, things have been added to it. They used to advertise the bread that we had on our shelves as enriched. They, the process is they strip everything good out of it, add two things, and then call it enriched, right? Okay, it's like stripping down a guy's, you know, a man's clothing, handing back his his shoes and his belt, and go, "Hey, you're enriched." Um, nah, maybe not. I'm not feeling that. But it means enriched, added to. It's extra, super plus. Happy, fortunate, delighted, blissful. And Brian Simmons said the word bliss might be the most appropriate translation for for bringing this into. Kobe's thank, shaking his head. Thank you. You're either going to you know, go, Pastor, you are way off on the left, or you're going to yeah, be blessed, and thank you. <laughs> Content, blessed, and then great happiness, prosperity, abundant goodness, delight, bliss. Bling! That's what is implied. He starts out and he says this, and so what... Brian Simmons did is he translated this instead of using the same word at every passion over every subject, he mixes them up and starts, he throws out the other meanings and you go, oh boy, it just probably brings it to life. And right out of the gate, happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty or blessed are the poor in spirit. Anybody else have a hard time getting over that? I've struggled with it a long time. I even teach it, but I'm like, I've met some people that are poor in spirit, and I don't really want to be one of them. I'm like, that's not a good thing. How about you? When you, when you look at a person, you go, wow, in your spirit's poverty-stricken. That's... I don't think there's an award for that. When I looked back, when I looked at it, boy, the lights came on. I just sit and looked. I meditated on it. I didn't go study anything deep. I was looking at this. I'm looking. I'm reading. Happy are those that find they're, they're spiritually, they're feeling spiritually, spiritual poverty. Here's the story. And you, you'll find this somewhere in everyone's 
testimony that have come to the Lord. They came to a moment in their life. This, this happens to pastors. <laughs> they come to a moment in their life when they realize, I'm, I'm not just poor, I'm like poverty. Spiritually, I'm in poverty. At that moment, and Jesus says, when you get to that point, when you look at yourself, it's like, I'm poverty stricken. I, I don't have. I'm bankrupt in my spirit. Jesus goes, okay, now we can go somewhere. Happiness is coming to you. Because the moment, I'm telling you, I keep hearing this story from testimonies from people. They hit that bottom. They hit that thing. It looks different for all of us, so it's not even about what it looks like. It's just, it's, it's a reality. You come to the end of yourself, and you must. You must. But when you did, Jesus goes, oh, you're going to get happy. And actually, the moment you get there and it's over, you're like, I've got nothing left. I'm at the bottom. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. I'm at the bottom of the barrel that's on the bottom of the pile. Stashed deeply in a container someplace. I mean, I'm boom. And Jesus says, when you get to that, you're going to get happy. And I've watched this and I've been studying this. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Remember that scripture? And I talked about it. The righteousness, the peace, and the joy are all imparted things. They're not things you can earn. You can't even fabricate them. But they come from the Lord giving them to you. And you come to the right place. You come in the right place. Right here it is. Here's number one. Feeling your spiritual poverty. Happiness is coming. And I saw this and I kept meditating on it. And I went, whoa. For every one of these things, Jesus refers to a positive heart experience. What I wrote, I wrote, experiences of the human heart. These are desired things that he lists. Blessed, enriched, happy, satisfied. I mean, remember the old rock style, the rock song? I can't get no satisfaction. Marty's back there. Oh, yeah, baby, I know that song. So that whole culture, one of their... One of their I Ching, you know, songs that, that defines them is they couldn't get satisfied. As a matter of fact, it was the heart of their, the movement, the hippie movement, to forsake everything that was plastic material. Why? Because they didn't matter what they did. Still no satisfaction in it. That's life, folks. That's when it doesn't matter what your degree is, doesn't matter what your income is, doesn't even matter what house you're living in, what your name is, or... If you don't have this inside, it never, it never gets there. I refer to the Super Roll ring. Once you got it, and know somebody else has two, you're like, oh, you're still a loser. <laughs> it's how that works. You can get absolute, beautiful, talented people in Hollywood, and they're jealous of other people. You're like, oh, Christ. You give me a break. Honestly. But they are. They can be eaten up with envy. They're depressed. They're on drugs. 
They get pulled into the, they're manipulated, they're controlled. We see their picture, <laughs> their life's miserable. Would you like to have your kids taken from you? By your family. I mean, it's nasty. I'll take Bethesda Road anytime. I'll take my simple life, and I do thank God for I have people around me, real people, real covenant people. I live in a beautiful place. I have, I'm fulfilling my purpose, and it doesn't matter what the numbers are. Bigger, so it wouldn't make me any happier. Like, because I've learned contentment in finding the place that I'm supposed to be. And that, I mean, it's still shedding off of me. Because the condemnation of not being enough, I mean, we'll do it to each other. We'll put that thought thing on each other. Like, oh, you're, you're not enough. I mean, I've had people walk out that door. And they kind of, they looked at me one way or another. They're saying this. They, I mean, some of them really did. You're not enough. I couldn't even disagree. That's, that's true. That's true. I don't have what you're looking for. I can't do that. Even if I tried really hard, I couldn't do that. Jesus is saying, come to that place, get to that place. You're going, happiness is coming. So you see a positive heart experience. In the center of each one of these is a key to release that. Like we have a legend here. And the key, it's, they aren't always nice things. But the key to that coming, and there is a, an immediate benefit, and there's a long-term benefit tacked on the... The, the end of it. So I have this chart, like I just took my paper and put lines and put these three categories and, and, and you can just go across, it's really simple, and you go across and you, you name what Jesus started out with, happiness. Happiness comes when you're feeling spiritually, spiritual poverty. Thank you. The long-term benefit of that is ownership of heaven's kingdom realm. You qualify. See? I want hot dog. This is good stuff. I mean, the word started just reading. Just, it, I, I felt this. I just, I just hit oil for me. I'm like, so good. And I've watched and I've been studying this. What releases the thing? I can't become righteous. I've tried hard. I'm not that very good at it. I just get all my plates spinning and my ducks in a row and it all falls apart. I'm like, jeez. Right? Anybody else? I'm all geared up and ramped up and I'm never going to make that mistake again. Okay, yeah. Watch this. Next one. I'm just going to read out of my notes. Just reading down through using the Passion Translation. Delight comes. I mean, these are, these are good things. We spend a lot of money to get these, obtain these. We work hard at getting people's approval and, you know, just things, you know. We buy the new car. How long does the happiness last? Not that if it does, <laughs> I have bad news for you. Now, I have things 
that I thoroughly enjoy. See, that's not illegal. But they're in perspective. I look at them and I go, the Lord gave me this. And I enjoy them because of that. So I've got stuff that I, I love, I cherish, I enjoy. And I remember each of those things that I know the Lord provided. I'm like, the Lord gave me this and there's no regret added to it. There's no sorrow added to it. It's a blessing. Delight comes. What's the key to the release? Waiting on the Lord. So if I would tell you in the midst of your, well, I won't use the word complaint, though sometimes that's what it is, huh? We're complaining to somebody. My answer would be, well, wait on the Lord. I'll probably get stones thrown at me or something, huh? I mean, especially people that you're close to, give them the wrong answer. They just lash out at you a little bit because they feel safe. I guess. That's why we do, we do that to our husbands and wives, right? You're the husband. You're walking around the house. You're groaning and complaining about things. Your wife gives you the answer that's actually probably pretty good. And you're, you're, mad, you're mad at her. You're angry. Don't. That's stupid. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, who's stupid? Who's really stupid around here? You know, that, yeah. I know. I know how it goes. I know how it rolls. Wait on the Lord is the key to delight comes and the long-term benefit, discovery. How many of you are plagued with questions? Why, why, why? In, in, in the kingdom, the Lord will give you answers that no one can take away from you. There, there are divine answers for your questions. There are mysteries that need to be unlocked. It's not that they're a mystery, but it doesn't mean you can't get to the answer. If you wait on the Lord, it's going to come. I can guarantee you that. Because Jesus said so. Blessing comes. What's the key? Gentleness lives in you. I know. Hang on. Let me, let me, read, let me read the whole thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, you get worked up. You're struggling, striving in your leadership, and you're trying to manage, and you're whatever. We're all in some realm. Uh, and the stuff happens, and you find, yourself, you find yourself getting edgy and defensive, and the scenarios start in your mind. Pretty soon, you're all worked up. Nothing's really happened. There's probably a little demon sitting on your shoulder whispering, pss, 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 you know? You go, what'd you say? I'd be glad to repeat it. What blessings come to you when gentleness lives in you? Gentleness. I was looking at the word meekness. Meekness is a fascinating word. Don't ever mistake meekness for weakness. It's not that. Meek people are very strong. They're so strong, they're cool, calm, and confident. They don't have to use force. They don't have to use violence. They don't have to strive. They, they're, they're able to calmly even take it on the cheek because there's a meekness. They're not, aggr- they're not looking for vengeance. They're not looking for a fight. But a meek person, wow, they're impressive. Gentleness 
lives in you. And I went, oh, yeah. That is the quality. And, and blessing will come to me. And the, the long-term benefit, I inherit the earth. We inherit the earth. That's why I'm not that crazy about the, the concept of we're checking out. You, you start looking at this and you go and you, you meditate on the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I don't want to just get run off by some people that, you know, like, wait, 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 wait. I still don't have the end times figured out, but I'm not, worried, I'm not really worried about it. I'm in a good place. I'm, I'm with Jesus. That's, I mean, it's not a cop-out. All I've seen all of my Christian life is this big argument and drawing lines in the sand about what you believe about the end times. I'm going to go, stop it. I know until my assignment is done, I'm going to stay fixed on that. I'm going to keep going after that. When he comes back and whatever, whatever that looks like, I want one thing. I want him to find me doing what he told me last to do. That's what I want. I don't want him to find me just sitting around like, mm, I was waiting for you to come back. That's a wrong answer. I mean, if you love his appearing, that's a great answer. It's like your father left the farm, said, I'll be back in a month, and you're in charge. And, and so you anticipate his return. You want to get things done because he goes, I'll be back in a month when I come. I, you know, we're going to go on from there. It, it just, just please embrace what I'm saying. That there, there's this inheritance The Roman occupation wasn't the problem in Israel. The leadership was. The occupation of other things in our worlds, whatever that is, that's not the problem. It's so easy to point the figure, finger and be upset at our wonderful government. <laughs> I mean, it's so hard not to, you know? I mean, just about the time you think crazy can't get crazier, it, yeah, it does. But as a nation, go back to that number one. America needs to feel their spiritual poverty. We've got to get off of that horse that says supreme, knows best, along with God loving our country and nation, our leadership has done some horrible, corrupt things all over the world. I, I think in time more that's going to come out. I'm already humbled. I'm like, oh, my. Oh, my. But they're not the problem. We are. Where's the church? Where's the church? Are we sleeping with the rest of the world? Are we distracted? I mean, it's this simple. Don't pick up something too heavy. It's this simple. Follow Jesus. Embrace him with all of your heart. Let him make you alive, and you'll be, part, you'll be an answer to the problem, not just watching it on the, on the news, not just sitting at the kitchen table pointing fingers and being upset about things. There's stuff to do, and there's an awakening that is supposed to be going, is going on right now. Awaken.
Awaken for our nation. Awaken for your church. Awaken. Come alive. Come alive in what he's called you to. You'll be enriched. What's, what's the key? The key to the release is crave righteousness. Just desire it. Look at yourself like, whew, I'm not very righteous. I just had another episode of something. There's always something, huh? There's always something that kind of goes, oh boy, I'm not there yet. You know, something triggered me. Something fired me up. I'm, you know. Crave, just, just de- desire it. Just crave it. Just say, Jesus, make me righteous. Impart righteousness to me. Righteousness is imparted. Or Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If you could gain it, he wouldn't have to do that. But he did. And you start looking at righteousness as something that comes from him, that he imparts to you through your faith. There's some things to do. Yeah, believe in Jesus. I mean, truly believe. Come to him. Lord, change me, transform me. Those are good prayers to pray. Yeah, you see an area in your life? Allow the Lord to come. Allow the Lord to come and let him come and fix that. Just truly start trusting in that, not in yourself, not in your self-help things. Long-term benefits surrounded with fruitfulness. Well, that's, isn't that what we all want? To be surrounded with fruitfulness? Everything you put your hand to do prospers. That's Psalms 1. That belongs to you if you're the godly. You don't have to strive for that. It just follows you. Healing signs and wonders should follow. Scriptural context, the scriptural picture is they follow those who believe. What's follow mean? That means you're on a journey. You're going that direction and this stuff comes up behind you. You go, oh, where'd you come from? It's a whole different thing, isn't it, than our scraping and striving. I'm going to wrap up for today. Satisfied. You'll be satisfied. This is the big thing. What's the key? Demonstrate mercy. How do you even connect those two except that Jesus is saying he's connecting those? Demonstrate mercy. How many, you know what the long-term benefit is that is of that? You get mercy. Now, sometime, hopefully early rather than late in your life, you'll realize, no matter how perfect you are, that you need mercy. So, just as an example, be patient with that driver that forgot to use their turn signal or made a left turn without warning or didn't stop or did stop or whatever, because tomorrow, as perfect of a driver as you think you are, this, this always happens with Phyllis and I. She laughs her head off at me all the time. If I, if I criticize something or I say something to, you know, how the husband and wife thing is, oh my gosh, stuff happens to me so fast. If I, if I tease, get at her, you know, that thing that goes on, couples, she's like, see, see, see. I mean, I'll fall. I mean, it's crazy. This has been around a long time. I mean, you really get the fear of the Lord when you understand that your wife has favor and if you don't want to mess with that? I mean, often I've been like, I feel it from the Lord. She has favor with me. (laughs) 
Straighten up. Watch how you walk. I mean, every man needs that revelation. Miles Monroe, who is gone now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit for today because there's so much good stuff here. I don't want to rush through it. I saw a clip on Instagram of him. He looks at, he's talking to men. My, he was a black man, like from uh, Caribbean or something, had that, you know, that look to him, and uh, very successful and whatever. And he starts speaking to, to he's speaking to men. He, said, he says, no wife is perfect when you marry her. No woman is perfect when you marry her. That's up to you to bring her into her fullness and what she's supposed to be. So you need to speak into her life. You need to bless her. You need to pray for her. You need to watch over her that she becomes the person that God, I, that God intended her to be. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I ever quite heard somebody say that and put that that way. It's like, you, you have the power to make your wife everything she's supposed to be. So, Wow. Hey, guys, I'm you know, we know how to figure things out. It's really not a question of that. It's a question of whether we want to sit ourselves down and figure it out or if it doesn't matter that much. There are things that matter more than you might think. Take some time and sit and ask the Lord about it. That, that applies to your job, your marriage, dealing with your kids, dealing with your church. I mean, it, it applies to everything in life. When you're up against something, sit down and ask the Lord, do you see his heart? The promises that he gives? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want to be comforted? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to have mercy? Pay attention to the keys and see what happens. Immediate benefit. Often you're immediately happy. You start walking this, make a choice too, and you get, you get giddy. I've experienced this. I've watched other people. They do something that's even hard, but they're doing it for Jesus, and they're happy. Go, what are you happy about? It cost you money. It was miserable. It was this or that. Yeah, but I, I, the joy of the Lord is all over me. It's, it's not hot air. It's, it's really, it really matters. So let's pray today. Close. Father, thank you for this gathering. Pray to Father that we've blessed you, honored you. We want to take a fresh look at your precious words and ministry. We've been dull of hearing, and I ask for you to awaken our hearts. Awaken our hearts to even simple things so that we can be all that you called us to be. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As I was asking Lord, what did he want shared for communion? Part of me thought, I don't need to share anything. Everyone knows why we're we do communion. And I felt like the Lord said to share why communion was so important to me. And tons of things just kept rolling out because it reminds me of what he sacrificed because it draws me closer to him. 
there's just tons and tons of reasons. And one of the main things stuck out to me um, was the fact that it kept me accountable with my sin. You know, you have a rough week, and you get angry, or you get frustrated, or you talk about something that happened that, you know, you shouldn't be talking about. And it's easy. <laughs> it's real easy to keep that hidden, you know, to not reveal it to anyone. Um, but Diane and I... We have this agreement with one another. We will keep each other accountable. We will hold each other accountable. And so I have things that take place in my life that I can keep hidden. But I'll call Ty and say, okay, confession time. And I'll tell her what it is, no matter how nasty it is. And I'll say, I'm just making myself accountable to you. And she does the same with me. And it never goes any further, but she knows I'm watching to see if it's surfacing again. And I know she's watching to see if it's surfacing again. And it keeps me accountable. But communion does that. It keeps me accountable because I know that he died for my sins. And I know that... that I'm accountable for my sins. And I know that before I take of his blood, that my sins need to be confessed to him. And so it keeps me accountable. It doesn't give me the right to hold on to them and make them secretive or to excuse them. I know that I can't take of his wine and his body, his blood until I say forgive me. And it kind of goes with what Phyllis was talking about. I wasn't going to say all that because there's so many other things that I value about communion but that's the main one. It keeps me accountable. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray blessing over the communion. And I ask that all of us stay accountable, examine our lives, examine ourselves. What does the Lord want us to be? Confess that to him as you take his body and his blood. Stay accountable to him. And the rest is awesome. So, Father, I, I thank you. I thank you that you shed your blood for us, that you died for our sins, that you made it easy to just say, Father, forgive me, to stay accountable to you. I ask for blessing over your body and your blood this bread and wine that we eat together that causes us to commune with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.